Hi, this is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats. And I am feeling very guilty. Believe me, really, I tried to talk him out of it. Who is he? He is Clem Wood, former captain of the Harvard sailing team, a top laser and J-70 sailor. He lives in Manhattan. I've known him for 40 years. He sails out of the Watawanek Club in Stonington, Connecticut, home of the J-Boat Johnstons. We first sailed a JY-15 together in 1989 on Fisher's Island Sound, and he's been one of my crew cadre for more than 40 years. He's the multiple winner of the big local Fisher's Island race, the Round Fisher's Island. He called me with the following question. What do you think of buying a wooden IOD? Silence. Now, I have sailed IODs, to be precise, International One Designs, in its fiberglass incarnation since 1999 in Nantucket, in a 1959 Woody and Larchmont, 2009 to 2016, and now back to a 1972 fiberglass boat in Western Long Island Sound. You might consider me a multi-material veteran of IODs. Here I am. I just completed a four-part history of the International Six Meter, focusing on the Roaring Twenties and the International 1930s. Dip back into those episodes, if you would. So you think I'd have a lot to say. I was dying to speak my mind, but I was biting my tongue. My friend gets me on the phone and continues to tell me about his imagined new boat to be. Well, the deck is fine. We just have to replace the rudder post and do the bottom uh, or the hull. Again from me, silence. How am I not going to pop this balloon? How not to rain on his parade? This podcast is the story of how I have been helping to manage this hopefully quick round trip in Classics Restoration for a very dear friend. I call it Clem and Jim's Excellent Adventure. Clem Wood, owner along with his two silent partners, his syndicate, and Jim Thompson Jr., Marine Carpenter. The project is codenamed Project XG. The task, the remake of the 1959 christened Golf. Named originally in 1959 for the seventh letter in the marine vocabulary. And because that name fit on the minuscule transom of the one design six meter that is an IOD. The goal? A classical transformation into the new and improved IOD to be named Atisma, classic Greek for always of the north wind. In the Aegean, that wind would be the Meltemi. For certain, this is a class name for one of my favorite classic boats. This podcast is a story of boat history and boat migration. How a classic boat moves from home port to home port and owner to owner and evolves over time. This is a podcast of discovery. The discovery of maritime history which has its own serendipitous pattern. Marine history is uniquely represented in memories and drawings. 
two different parts of the brain. Marine memory is usually oral, rarely ever written down. A little like Homer, right? And marine legacy is almost always manifest in drawn plans and scantlings, not written paragraphs and books. Remember Captain Nat and his little brown design books and his half models. Another way to think about marine memory is as an observer, a boat watcher. Think of yourself, the listener, as sitting in a forest looking for birds or on a shoreline looking out to sea. Think of yourself in this episode as a boat watcher, like a bird watcher, on the flyway of classic wooden boats. Binoculars in hand, guidebook at the ready. And I'll try to be the guide in the extraordinary adventures that are involved in taking an iconic historic wooden watercraft back not just to sailing condition, but to racing caliber. But first, let's remind you quickly about our partners, editorial and distribution, new and existing. On Friday, May 8th, we reached a major milestone with the Conversations with Classic Boats podcast. In that edition, Craig Lewick of Scuttlebutt, the number one sailing blogger in the land, if not the world, included an introduction to our two latest episodes. Podcast listeners could access the two episodes of J-Boat Speaks, our actively contested group interview with the J of J-Boats, Bob and Rod. Look for our monthly releases, which Scuttlebutt hopefully will be carrying as we put out new episodes of Season 2. Also launching here in May is our venture with Spinsheet, covering the Mid-Atlantic waterfront from Delaware down to Hampton, Virginia. See the new Classic Boat of the Month page in the back of the magazine, or somewhere over page 100 in the web version. Say hello to Alarion in the May issue of this Annapolis-based spin sheet. We look forward to work with a veteran editor like Molly Winans to pick the best classics to present to her Chesapeake Bay audience. And of course, Windcheck, our old friends. The May issue is the Boat Zero issue. We appeared at the boat show. We enjoyed the lawn at the Essex Island Marina, our very own tent and table. Thanks to my friend, Clem Wood, for supplying the neon green J70 chute, complete with tears, that became the table skirt, albeit held down by beach rocks to keep it from flying away in the 40-knot gusts on Friday and Saturday. We were excited to get to hear from listeners, subscribers, and newbies of both to engage us about the podcast that talks to boats. By our count over the three-day weekend, we gave out a hundred of our new Conversations postcards and hope that they will be used and passed around. Hopefully, all of you card recipients, you took down the web address or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or a new source, Spotify. And remember, you can always tap in to the website, www.conversationswithclassicboats.com. Subscribe, give us a review. See our summary of the four-episode podcast series on the International Six Meter in the June issue of Windcheck. And of course, Mad Martha Team One Newport, teamonenewport.com, with all the latest gear, including the new Fellweather gear from North. 
I'm sure you're all chomping at the bit to get out there, but that water is still cold, and one of Martha's wetsuit and her gloves will still be in order. So let's set the scene as we often do in a new sailing canoe. The place is Fisher's Island and the rocks and currents that wander around it. This is the part of New York that you think should be Connecticut, and that it also should be longed in the Ice Age. Rocks, rocks, and more rocks. Current, current, and more current. A boating, fishing, and golfing enclave for well over a hundred years. And one of the bases for a fleet of a dozen of the boat which is one of my very favorites of the last 25 years. That would be the International One Design, IOD for short. This is the boat that in the teeth of the 1930s Depression motivated groups of hot northeastern sailors to establish an elite Grand Prix One Design keelboat class. It's the story of the IOD, the boat from Oz. Beer Nas. There's a story behind IODs and how they came to be part of the variety of classes that Fisher's Island Sound sailors have floated. For almost a hundred years, the local sailors have experimented with establishing their own local class. From the Harrisher 32, a splinter of a race boat in the 30s, then to the Looters 16, the planked 30s version of a, of a J24. Most of us are more familiar with the plywood post-World War II version, or the fiberglass one. And the Rhodes 27, really a cruising boat pressed into racing. And finally, to the Bullseye, one of the flock of variations on the Harrishoff 12 and a half. In John Rumenier's fascinating 2004 book on the Fisher's Island Yacht Club, we get the backstory of how that sailing community came to embrace the classic, quote, sleek appearance that had been deemed necessary for a Fisher's racing class since the Harrisoft boats and the Looters 16 came to West Harbor in the 1920s and 1930s, end quote. That latecomer was a 1935-36 design adapted by a Norwegian boat builder for a North American client, the International. That would be the IOD. And its history traces back to the six meters in Bermuda in the early 1930s. Clem Wood picks up on the story. Okay. What's the name yeah. of the um, six meter down in Bermuda that was at the Butterfield Brothers or something like that had? It was the, it was the Trimminghams, actually. Oh, and yes, yes. Saga, basis, you're talking about Saga? Yes, yeah. yeah, Saga. If, if, you know, yeah. if you've been right. to Bermuda, which you know you have, you know the Trimminghams were kind of like the Macy's or the Abraham and Strauss, yeah. right? They, been in the they, store. Kind, of, they yeah. kind of owned all the stores, right? Shorty yep. Trimmingham. Yep. Um, so their father and uncle commissioned Bjorn Oz, who was yes. himself kind of a crazy guy, you know, was he? from Norway. Yeah, I mean, he was a great designer, but like so many people in the boat business, a terrible businessman. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so Saga was commissioned and Clem in the book, which you have, which I gave you for your yeah. birthday, you'll see the story of how Saga allegedly led to the development of the IOD. 
Yeah. Although the yeah. actual document, the, the documentation indicates that in fact, uh, Corny Shields had been talking to Oz for more than a year before oh, really? hit, hit the water. Oh, okay. Well, if yeah. You, <laughs> if you read that account, you know, like so many, as I say, creation myths of boats. Uh, sure, a lot yeah. of what I talk about in the boats. Well, it sounds about. like like the Johnstones don't agree on the creation of the exactly the, exactly of the J twenty four the Johnstone brothers. Right, there's a creation myth yeah. in every boat. Yeah, well, actually, I refer to that creation myth. So maybe you can you can debunk it if you want. Right. Um, but, so, Clem, um, Clem, you and I talked about IOD. You know, you sail with me at IODs. You sail with people in Nantucket IODs, but. Yeah. What's the process? How did you finally come to this idea? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get an IOD. And what, what's for a wooden IOD? Well, actually, it all starts with a J-boat, as do so many sailing stories out of Stonington, Connecticut, where Rodney Johnstone and extended family are based, and where I and my two boat, boat partners have houses. So since 2013, we have been racing our J70 in Fishers Island Sound. And it happens that the Fishers Island Yacht Club was giving us separate starts right after the IOD starts. So we got used to seeing the IODs out on the water in racing mode, and they got used to seeing us. We also became acquainted with the wind and tides in Fishers Island Sound and in the West Harbor of Fishers Island where the races started. So in 2020, in 2020, we didn't, we didn't hold any J70 races because of COVID, and some owners decided to sell their boats, so we decided to sell ours as well. We then began to look around at the other one design possibilities in Fishers Island Sound, and the biggest one design classes, surprisingly, uh, turn out to be two classic designs, the Watch L15, based on an 1899 Nathaniel Harrisoft design, and the IOD, or, or International One Design, a one design version of a six meter yacht. Both boats have beautiful lines and each has its own attractions. So we explored both and it was hard to ch choose between them, honestly, but in the end, the IOD won out largely because of the outreach from the Fishers Island fleet and the fact that they were also raced competitively in other places where you would like to sail, such as Bermuda, Long Island Sound, Nantucket, Marblehead, Northeast Harbor, Nova Scotia, San Francisco, as well as in Sweden and Norway. That's, that a... that's basically how we came to it. So Team Wood had made up their mind. We would take on the 62-year old wooden boat well i think that's right that that um that i'm kind of the uh kind of a syndicate manager <laughs> boat manager, manager. Yeah. uh but i think it's very much a group um enterprise and we rely on each other and we you know make group decisions so i'm glad you asked about that um so the the, the two boat our boat partners in the j70 were elliot merrill and damon ball and the decision to go with the IOD was very much uh, made with them. And we're gonna continue the, the same group with the IOD. So Jim, um, just so you know, to try to make sure that Clem got a balanced opinion, not just mine, who mm -hmm. did I send him to? Jennifer Miller, of course. 
owner of a 1959, right? Yeah. Oregon pine, yeah. topaz, right? Yeah. Pretty much the same vintage, right? Yeah. That late yeah. 50s period. I don't know if it was a tra sail trading boat or not, you know, whether it was a Herman Witten boat. I don't think it was. I think mm -hmm. they got their boat directly from somebody else who got it from Norway. Mm -hmm. But um, you know Jennifer, you know, she's been in the game for a while. Marblehead Jennifer or Larchmont? No, no, no. Larchmont Jennifer. Okay, yes. yes. Who my sail with? Who my yes. sail? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah there are two Jennifer Millers, right? They're the all IOD. Right. That's true. I never thought about that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Clem, when did you you picked golf because someone brought you the idea, right? Well. So, um, and I don't mean the game, I mean the boat. No, so, yeah. yeah, so we were, we were, we were thinking about, um, we were trying to make up our mind between the Watch L15 and the IOD, which are the bigger, biggest classes in the, in Fisher's Island Sound, actually, and biggest and most competitive. Um, so, um, so I knew, I knew um, her owner, Bill Reed who often had been serving as the race committee for the IOD and J70 racing over at Fisher's Island, over at Fisher's Island. So I emailed him merely to ask if he was aware of any IODs available for sale. And much to my surprise, he answered that he was actually looking to sell his boat, Golf, a 1959 wooden IOD built in Norway by Jarnas and sister to, to Norwegian Wood, also in the Fisher's Island fleet. So Jarna Oss, um, uh, as you know, was, was also the designer of the boat. Yeah. And- uh, He was actually and, the builder. I'm not, I'm not sure he yeah. actually did the drawings. Then I think that's, I think we've oh, really? determined over the years that he was a builder, yes. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've read that he was a builder designer and yeah. that he also designed the boat at um, kind of at Cornelius Shields' behest in Correct. 1936. Seems that way. Because what? It seems that way. The, the, yeah, the book has lots of different, there's different interpretations, but yes. Yeah. Clem was well-versed in the local version of the IOD creation story. This is one version which may or may not be correct and that um, you know Cornelius Shields was looking to create a, a new one design class for the Amarita Cup between Long Island Sound and Bermuda mm -hmm. but that was match racing and he commissioned Jarn Oz to come up with a design because he had so admired the design of the six meter yacht saga which mm -hmm. which uh, Corny Shields had seen in Bermuda yeah so that's that's one version I, now, you know, Jim you know Amarita right the, the the eight meter right in Newport. Oh yes, the yeah, one yeah. that was sunk for all those years. It was down at the bottom, right, and they brought it back up and fixed it. So Amarita was the U.S. representative in the 1932 Olympics in eight meters, which was the last time they used the eight meter in the Olympics. Mm. So the Amarita Cup relates to that. Relates to mm. that that boat and that that. That was named after that boat. Yep, it is. Okay. Which yacht club was that? That's Larchmont. No, this is a uh, Ida Lewis. This is Ida Lewis. Amarita is a, is a is a Newport boat. But the the Amarita Cup, the one that the Amarita Cup was between Larchmont and Royal Royal Bermuda. Yeah, I think that's right. Bermuda. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Traditional. 
yeah. you know, the six, a lot of the, a lot of the IOD events of early days yes. really came from the six meters. Right. Here is my own personal take on the creation myth of the IOD and the specific background of golf. It was one of the designs derived from sixes, built by Bjorn Oz, designer, builder. Where did the design come from? Really the first from a non-US designer and builder. Those of you who followed the four episodes of the six meter from the 1880s through World War II will remember that the IOT was a whistle stop on the line of an impresario who built no fewer than 275 six-meter boats over 25 years. What is the creation myth of the IOD going back 85 years? The class is a very organized one, and for the 75th anniversary Jubilee, published a glossy coffee table book carrying the official story. Here's the official story. In 1935, Bernaz was commissioned to design and build a new six-meter for Kenneth and Eldon Trimmingham of Bermuda, named Saga. Saga was shipped to Bermuda in December. The customs records say December 1935. The following spring, Saga bested all the competitors in the 1936 Gold Cup, and Cornelius Shields Sr. noticed. The story goes that Shields asked us to design a shorter version of the boat as a one-design class. What he had in mind was the replacement of Long Island Sound's aging sound inner club, a local design. Now, we've heard two brothers, Bob and Rod Johnstone, tell their versions of the birth of the J-24. Certainly, there are alternative narratives for the genesis of the IOD. It turns out there's a paper trail with a different take. These notes seem to suggest that there was communication between Oz and Shields with drawings, copies of which were to become the IOD, and were in Corny's hands to talk, it, talk up with his fleet members. Seeing Saga trounce the gold field convinced Shields that the Oz design was the future. Like backing the Derby winner in the Preakness. While Shields was drumming up support, a Norwegian immigrant, George Unger Vetslen, put in an order for the first IOT in spring 1937. Akavit, as the boat was named, was shipped directly to New York and became number 23 in the Long Island Sound Fleet. Meanwhile, it was Shields, however, who had asked for two subsequent changes in the design a shorter cabin trunk by one frame, and a loftier rig and shorter boom for performance in Long Island Sound's fickle breezes to be counterbalanced by an additional 100 pounds of lead ballast. The first four new IODs landed in the New World in December 1936. In 1937, Oz's Frederickstad yard delivered 21 more IODs to the Long Island Sound Fleet. And as I said, Oz went on to build more than 250 of them. To put those numbers in perspective, 
with its bigger cousin, the International 6-meter. About 1,400 of the development class 6s were built from 1907 into the 1980s. Bottom line, IOD was a rare bird, and for elite sailors, this was no picnic toting craft. It was for the creme de la creme. And the sailors were a virtual who's who that went on to populate the teams of the 12 meters in the America's Cup, beginning with Corny Shields, who stepped onto Columbia, and with Briggs Cunningham, willed that first 1958 Cup to America. The IOD class graduates ranged from Arthur Knapp, Bill Luters, Bob Bevere, Buss Mossbacker, and from up Boston Way, Ted Hood, and Bob McNamara. In 1960, Corny Shields retired as president of the IOD class, a position he had held since 1936. Now, the hidden story of the origin of our friend Clem's golf lies back in our six-meter series. Remember from uh, part three of that series that we talked about Herman Swede Witten from Oyster Bay, winner in the British American Cup, winner in almost every cup. He established in the 1950s the equivalent of a top gun school. He collected the rock stars of, of the time and invited top sailors to come and learn from them. That's where golf came in. Golf was one of the boats introduced from Western Long Island Sound to seed the Fisher's Island fleet. It was number seven of eight in Witten's bespoke fleet. Seventh letter of the alphabet, G, hence golf. Herman, known to his friends as Swede, was a six-meter stalwart, skipper, builder, designer, He had competed in every U.S. sailing team since 1928. He won his first Olympic gold in Torquay with a brand new Olin Stevens 6, Lenoria, in 1948. And in 1952, he became the first American sailor to win two Olympic medals. In 1960, Witten established the Sail Training Facility of Long Island Sound to promote international sailing, and specifically the Olympics. He collected the champions of the time, Mossbacker, Shields, Ogilvy, Etchells, Hood, Knapp, Cox, Stevens, Ratsy, Luters, and O'Day. They were all instructors in the 10 5.5 meters and eight IODs of the sail training fleet. Quite an impressive array. Golf came from the sail training facility. Now, if you've ever renovated a house, you know a good contractor is the key. Clem was fortunate that golf was a package deal of boat and ace marine carpenter, and that woodmeister is Bill Thompson Jr., whose home is Newport, but his home port and his heart and his fleet are at Fisher's Island. Jim Jr. has spent his sailing life in Fisher's Island's West Harbor, where you look north at squat islands with lighthouses called the Clumps, all the better to guide you out the log flume of the saltwater passage 
called Fisher's Island Sound. Remember, rocks, current, rocks, current. So Ender Jim. We met him in Newport, first at the site of two of his massive projects, a 90-foot mega catamaran and a 70-foot modern lobster boat. The sign and his car say it, JT. He has the intensity of James Spader, the actor, and the conviviality of your beer can nighttime racing crew. He is Mr. Marine Carpentry. One of IOD's favorite restorations is Jester, originally called Bumblebee, when sailed by Arthur Knapp for many years. It was Jim who orchestrated with his skipper, Charlie Van Voorhees, the 10-year crusade that completely rebuilt her and restored Jester to racing form. Twice world champion, Charlie had taken the yellow boat off the rock pile to Marblehead Race Week to victory in the 2011 Jubilee event that, as we said, marked the 75th anniversary of the IOD class. Golf is really Bill's third delivery of a previously distressed IOD. He tells the story. Actually, I did Allegra. My father owned um, hull number 13, original hull number 13, and it was... So uh, a, thir- a, late, a late 30s boat, a late 30s. Yes. Yeah. First, exactly. One of the, the boats uh, from the original Larchmont fleet and right. Allegra Knapp, Arthur Knapp's sister who... Leggy Mertz, yep. Leggy Mertz, exactly. And then she married Jim Mertz, um, who was a... Jim himself was a famous Bermuda race sailor. I gosh, I, he probably sure. has the record for the most races. I think he does, yeah. Bermuda. Um, oh, that was her boat. It was her boat. Yeah, it was her boat. And uh, we, you know, there, Jim Bishop is a big name, but Jim sure. Bishop Sr. in the class, keeping the class alive, Dan Larchmont. We ended up getting the boat from him. And it is a basket case. So that was the first IOD I ever did any work on. Mm-hmm. And it was a complete rebuild. And, uh, I believe that Jester also came came from Larchmont. Mm-hmm. John Brim and Brad Burnham were involved in some manner with this purchase mm-hmm. of Jester. And again, I think uh, it was a Jim Bishop boat. He would collect the basket cases, set them aside so they didn't get chopped up. And Charlie Van Voorhees ended up with it up in Matapoisit. They sailed it up, pumping the whole way. <laughs> and that night, it was out at the mooring, and they went out the next morning and to look at it, and it was almost like... Underwater. Underwater. Yeah. So out it came. And it sat in Charlie's driveway on Pearl Street in Matapoisit for a solid six years? before Charlie and I started working on it. Mm -hmm. And when did we start? I think we started in 90, um, I wanna say 96. Okay. 96, because we launched it in 2000. And he and I spent, you know, four years after work on the weekends, Mm -hmm. 
we lofted it, went to the original table of offsets, lofted it, put the stations in, mm. reframed it, replanked it, new keel bolts. I mean, there's very small amount of fabric of the original boat in there. And but you that know, was the boat that went to the Jubilee and won everything, right? I mean, when you sailed in 2011, wasn't it? Didn't you have the yeah, boat? Yeah, that was up at the Nud Jubilee. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The first race was, we felt slow. And the from the second race for the rest of the week, we did very well. Let's right. I recall. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We had lots of uh, coffee cups. Right. <laughs> so that um, so so what that that you learned in Jester, are you bringing? Well, to that's the exactly, and that, that that's kind of what I'm getting at. Jester was kind of my 2.0 version mm -hmm. of uh, of IOD restoration, and um, Charlie is an excellent sailor. He would stay up at night. I can tell you, probably in bed, thinking about how to rig the boat how to make sure is going to be the fastest boat on the course. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we've had, we've had good success with Jester. And um, so it was an improvement upon my personal effort on Allegra. Got it. Got it, it. We put it in the water. Um, our, our objective was to get it down to the July 4th race at Fisher's. And it went in the water the week before, and we just had this epic week of finishing the boat and sailed it down on July 3rd through the night and got to Fisher's July 4th, finished build rigging the boat, like putting winches on the boat July right. 4th, and went out and raced. This is so 21 years ago. 21 years ago. 21 years ago. Got yes. It. Got it. Mm -hmm. And, Did you uh, have any prior experience? You had prior experience racing in IODs, though. At yep. That point. Yep. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And um, racing well, not necessarily, mm -hmm. but racing on Fishers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we were out there when um, the inception of the Fishers Island fleet started with um, Boots Parker. Right. Well, that's Bet Noir. Bet Noir was golf was Bet Noir. And her cousin, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, mm -hmm. bought, I want to say Norwood, but mm -hmm. I can't remember yeah. exactly. And those were the first two boats out there. Actually, you want to know what? I think Steve Miller bought preemptive bid. Yep. And Boots saw that boat. Steve Cook. Steve What's that? Steve, Steve Cook. Cook. Steve, Steve Cook. Cook. Yeah, saw that boat, loved it, and said, "Okay, I'm going to buy two, essentially." Right. Her and her cousin, right? And that was yeah. the beginning of the fleet. That's the story right. that John Romanier tells in his yes. Fisher's Island yacht. And that's um, yeah. right. Yeah, that was broke, that was know, in the mid '80s, right? That yeah, that would have been early, like '84, '85, something like that. Right, and. You know, we're real lucky that we have a competitive fleet. You know, what's this, 35 years later? Mm. Some of those same boats are there. And they're still attracting people like Clem and his partners. And it's it's really a testament to the competition. Yeah. I mean, you can have, you know, people race scows competitively, right? Right, sure. Right. Because there's great competition out there. And nothing against scows, but I'm just saying, you could 
everybody's doing four and a half knots and it's incredibly exciting. Jim has a point, I would say. IO day sailing may be in fact like 1920s college football, three yards and a cloud of dust. But in sailing terms, it's the most fun you can have going four and a half knots in an antique keelboat. I had a few more questions for Jim. Jim, I have a couple of questions. Number one, I'm sure the audience is dying to know the answer to this question. What is splining? What is splining? <laughs> Whenever someone talks about a wooden IOD, they go, well, we had to do the splining. Well, we had to do the splining. Well, the things, originally the boats, Bjarnos was a, you know, he built dragons. He built six meters, eight meters, 12 meters. He was, my understanding is one of the premier kind of um, uh, meter boat. Yeah, builders. he was the guy. Right. He was the Miniford slash Hood slash Nevins slash Hood, you yeah. know, whatever. You know, he was it. He was it. So one of their techniques was edge gluing. Um, for instance, in the IOD, and speaking specifically about the IOD, but I'm sure it's a technique he used on his other boats, is they edge glued the planking one to another. They were not caulked originally. Mm -hmm. They were edge glued with shellac. Ooh. heavy shellac right and so they had a you know they're beautiful boats that's why he's a sought after builder so they they would show up from norway and the thing looks like an egg which mm -hmm. was just kind of unheard of back then you know that was um a bit of a european technique so the thing about shellac is it's great i guess if you leave the boat in the water all the time you let it you haul it out and it Dries. It dries out. It dries out. And, all the, and all the seams break. Mm -hmm. And because there wasn't any caulking, they go back in the water, they leak like a sieve. Well, IODs over the years, probably very shortly after they were delivered to Lachma and subsequent to that, would have been caulked, traditional boat caulking, right? Yeah. Turking in the seams. Um, which is, if anybody who's owned a wood boat knows it's a maintenance issue and it's just one of those annoying things that you have to be on top of and the boats still leak to some degree. So splining is eliminating all that, kind of going back to the original intent of the builder. And part of gluing the seams together, it's not only for the aesthetics on the outside, it makes for a stiffer hull. Got it. It's a monocue structure, essentially. It makes for a stiffer hull. Caulking moves around. allow a boat to move around. Sure. Anyone who's had a beetle cat in New England knows. Exactly. Caulk it every year, recaulk it every other year. Right. So are, are other boats, spine, other classes, other types of boats? Yep. So it's a, it's a recognized it's, technique. I, yeah, I, it's certainly not specific to our fleet or IODs. It's a, it's a, it is a technique of boat repair. And so there's some pros and cons to it, but so what we've done is all the boats we've touched in the past 20 years or so, um, you saw out the caulking mm -hmm. and we use, whether it's the pine boats or the mahogany boats for the IODs, we put in white cedar splines. 
So they're about two thirds of the depth of the planking. They're depending on the size of the seams originally, you know, maxing out at a quarter inch, sometimes less. And we glue them in with epoxy. So you're now gluing. Yeah. It's like, a West, it's like a West system. Exactly. At that point. Yeah. And it does make for a stripper boat. And the reason yeah. it's white cedar is as the planking swells up, um, the cedar compresses and doesn't bust the frames. Got it. Which happens with mahogany, you know, if they're mahogany. That's the key. That's it. That's impressive. Yeah. I, I didn't, yeah, that, I didn't yeah. realize that about the cedar that it would compress. And it takes epoxy beautifully. Epoxy West system was made for cedar. So you yeah. put it in and they're in there. Yeah. We know that from Nantucket, from the Illarians, because that's how they're made. They're coal molded strips of mahogany and cedar yep. put together. Yeah. So there you have it. Next time, when exactly depends on Jim and his team in Newport. I will be accompanying Clem on his delivery down to Stonington, Connecticut. That's the upcoming episode two of Clem and Jim's Excellent Adventure. It will become the Atesian Syndicate and Tom Darling Excellent Adventure. We'll be live from Rhode Island Sound sometime before July 3, because the Fishers Island racing season starts on the 4th of July. Don't miss it. You can probably follow it on the internet. Thanks, listeners. We hope you have enjoyed the story of golf. Thanks to Clem and Jim for being such good sports. When the boat gets to its new home port, she'll have another name. Same color, pale classical blue, but with a new name on the teeny, teeny transom. Wish us luck. And have a happy summer. Hopefully it'll be a normal sailing season. Take care of yourself and someone else if you can. And come back to listen to the podcast that talks to boats. Conversations with Classic Boats. And we'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. And we'll all hang on behind. And a drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A 